on. We require an emergency relief officer at the customs desk. We've got one more castaway to process before national final season starts. And welcome. Uh, this is not Ellie calling, this is Lisa calling. Here we are on the beautiful Ile de Besançon, where it's somehow always early May, the sun is shining, the temperature is comfortable, coffee and local beverages are free and in plenty. And yet we have a strangely restrictive policy on music imports. Every Eurovision fan who comes here is only allowed eight Eurovision related songs for the duration of their stay. And here at the customs desk, which I've taken over today because Ellie's going to be the guest, I really want to know why they're picking that specific eight. Let's have a good old chat about it. So, Ellie, welcome to your own customs desk. How are you? It's weird to be on the other side of the desk. So tell us about you, who you are and how we know you. I'm Ellie. I'm a member of the ESC Insight team. I've been contributing articles since I think the, the very end of 2015. And um, I've been part of the ESC Insight coverage team for uh, the 2016 and 2017 contests and hopefully in the future. I've also got um, a music recommendations blog, Listen Outside. Nicely plugged, well done. Always get the plug in. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Learning well. Yeah. Okay, so now you have brought your list of eight songs, which I've had a little sneaky look at. Can I just say, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised by the ones you've chosen. There's no surprises, really. It's <laughs> never a surprise. <laughs> um, I think as we go through, people will, will get to know a lot more about you from the eight songs that you've chosen. <laughs> I, that is the, uh, I mean, peeking behind the curtain, that's the whole idea of the uh, Ile de Besançon customs desk. Exactly. Um, I also said that the, you're going to make me look like a complete Eurovision numpty because there are a few on here that I'm like, I don't even remember that song, but you can talk about them very clearly. I hope so. <laughs> All right, let's move ahead and let's, let's have a look at your first song. And we go back to 1994 to the UK's entry... It's Francis Ruffell and Lonely Symphony. Welcome to the land where all our dreams are planned And fighting is a thing to do Sometimes it makes me feel naked like a tree in autumn Through the clouds and rain Love has come to stake its claim in an ugly way While you dance beneath First song, Why Lonely Symphony? Well, it seems to be a bit of a tradition that we have uh, that your first song when you're a castaway is part of your Eurovision origin story. And I don't, I don't really know that I've got a Eurovision origin story because I know that I have always watched it, whether or not I remember it. Because it, it was, you know, like a lot of people in the UK, it was the night you're allowed to stay up late and eat lots of ice gems and party rings and dance around until you're sick. And nothing changes. So you still do that now. We just do it in the, in the press room, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just Prosecco now instead of Ribena. <laughs> 
I also used to watch a lot of Top of the Pops because I'm just a sort of a general all-round music enthusiast. And yeah, I'm lo- I've got Lonely Symphony as my first uh, record, not really specifically because of the Eurovision performance, but because of her performance on Top of the Pops. Mm. Um, and this was back in the 90s when the UK was having this amazing run of musical form, um, not necessarily winning but just producing really good pop songs that sounded modern and always had a bit of something different about them i mean i could easily have picked uh, imani's where are, are you, you? Yep. or even blum and love city groove which is secretly good oh it's not secretly good it is good it is it's okay f- i'm glad it doesn't have to be a secret <laughs> no you, you don't have to be a secret about that one um but yes i'm gonna go with lonely symphony because it is it's quite me. It's quite yeah, me. Yeah, it is quite you, isn't it? There is a, sort of, a certain something about a wild-eyed brunette prancing around in a nighty, doing vaguely gothy dancing that, I don't know, I think people who know me will find it hauntingly familiar. Yes, I think so. I, I have often described this one as being like the UK's like forgotten gem because a lot of people don't talk about it anymore. But I think it's great. And yeah, it's fantastic. And that's why I'm bringing it here. And uh, although this is your customs desk, I'm, I'm stamping them through today. But this one definitely gets a stamp in. Let's move on to one of the ones that I had to go back and look at because I'd completely forgotten it until I saw it. And then I thought, oh, yes, I remember that. This was Bosnia and Herzegovina's entry from 2008. the Bosnian performance artist with Pokusage. Um and yeah this for me it really reminds me of sort of my post wilderness years because um you know I kind of had things to do on Saturday nights in May when I was a student around the turn of the millennium did you I did did I you did. have a life before Eurovision I did have a life before Eurovision um but sort of going back through uh, I started blogging in about 2002 Uh, like a lot of people Mm. did. And one of the sort of topics that I started blogging about back in the the golden age of live journal was Eurovision. And some of those, some of those blog posts are still remaining today. Um, And I met a lot of friends through Eurovision blogging uh, back in the day, including um, a very good friend, Carrie. And this was, this was kind of our song in 2008. It really reminded us of a song from the Arcade Fire's first album uh, in that it was quite sort of serious and pompous in a sort of indie rock style. Mm. But it was staged as if suddenly the Arcade Fire had a sense of humour and liked bright colours, which we found just really entertaining. And we're both knitters as well. So having the brides knitting along to the chorus, uh, it just tickled us. This was, this was, I guess, where I started to become a bit of a Eurovision hipster. Like, I don't care if that's not 
I don't care if it's Schlager. I don't care if it's, um, you know, a, a Eurovision, Eurovision song. If it's a bit different and if it's trying something creative, I'll go with that. Okay, so tell me, tell me why I shouldn't just laugh at this. But I think you should just laugh at it a little bit. But you should also um, enjoy the pairing of the sort of the silly cartoonish visuals with basically a sort of that sort of post Brit pop rock sound. Mm-hmm. And um, like this is very much sort of of a piece with the rest of Lacquer's work. And it you know prompted me to go and have a dig around and see what else he'd done. Mm. And it's one of those ones where I think because it was in Bosnian, you don't like the the lyrics of Pokasage describe a sort of uh, innocent childish afternoon um, where you're running around in fields with flowers and animals and lying back and eating bananas in the sun. So it is actually they're trying to evoke that sense of sort of silly childish fun with the staging. Uh, yes, I see that. I see I wonder so this would be 2008 do we have is this Graham Norton or is this Terry Wogan on the BBC this is Terry's last year this is Terry's last year I think this might be the final straw for Terry yeah so and we know that Terry's commentary was basically laugh at the silly foreigners so isn't this just Bosnia inviting themselves to be laughed at by Europe um and not taken seriously and Sinner's completely a pointless entry a joke entry the gimmick entry but you know that was that was the era of gimmick entries you know 2008 mm, yeah and this was not the gimmickiest song that year was it not absolutely not okay see this is in my like hiatus where i wasn't really watching i would i would watch the contest but i wasn't massively interested in what was going on so Lettersvet was really weird and stupid oh ulysses in an invented language that's a devil and an angel the bloody dust in the turf. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. So, yeah, 2008 was an extremely gimmick-heavy year. And, you know, this this wasn't as challenging as something like the Finnish entry, like Miss Amir Star, which was shirtless metal guys rocking out. And it wasn't as uh, just pointlessly offensive as Ireland's dust in the turkey. Actually, no, you make a very good point there. I, w I would listen to this and watch this a hundred times over dust in the turkey. In context, it makes sense. Like you couldn't, okay. enter, you couldn't enter that in the modern contest. Nine years ago, it made much more sense. Okay, you have convinced me enough. I feel like Frank Skinner on 101. You've convinced me enough to allow it in to Ilda Besson. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to your third song uh, from a country that, aren't competing at Eurovision at the moment from Slovakia. This is Hore Horony. Okay. So in 2010, we're getting deep into the, um, the, the Eurovision hipster phase. 
we're, we're getting into, well, this didn't even make it out of the semi-finals, but I got it and I don't care if Europe doesn't get it. Uh, this is mine and I love it. And I feel vindicated because this is one of the ones that you hear in Euro Club year after year now. It's like it was maybe a couple of years ahead of its time. Yeah. Do you think that that's, do you think that's true of uh, the songs we've already talked about, but also some others that are coming on, on your list as well? You've kind of picked ones that are good songs, but maybe were ahead of their time or just sort of didn't belong with the prevailing trends. Yeah. Yeah. But that's very you, isn't it? To pick the thing that's just awkward, a bit alternative just, and just left field. Pointlessly awkward. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I think the actual performance uh, on the live show wasn't up to par. But the studio version has never really left my playlists. And it was kind of, it was at the heart of a sort of a set of Eurovision songs, which have formed one of my longest running playlists called Beyond the Wind Machine, which is, it's my collection of my favourite, like, not your normal Eurovision songs. Um, and Hori Hrani is just, it's so beautiful. It's got such a lovely sort of turnaround in the chords in uh, just going up to the chorus and in the verse. It makes me want to go to Horychrony tourism region in Slovakia. And it's got that, you know, it's it would actually be quite now because it's got that sort of slightly um, soft nationalism going on. It's in native language and it's sort of a celebration of Slovakia itself. And that's what we're seeing, isn't it? Coming back into the competition, this mood uh, this move sorry of national songs ethnic flavor national yeah. language maybe this is seven years ahead of its time <laughs> maybe Eight years ahead of its time well i mean it would have helped if she'd hit the notes but you know but yes but we all know being able to hit every single note perfectly is not a prerequisite for <laughs> doing really well at eurovision 75 percent would have helped <laughs> yeah. yeah well fair enough what for you ellie what for you makes a song stay in your playlist what what things can you pinpoint that you that's the reason why that song has stayed with me. Um, being able to like holler along to it in the car, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like, very important. I agree with you. Yeah, uh, to be honest, Hori Hori is a very good car singing song. Um, also, what about my dreams by Katy Wolf? That is quite schlagertastic. But I've also like I I've never stopped listening to the worrying kind by the ark which is mm -hmm. i don't know whether you remember that one whether that's in your wilderness years or yes not. i think that's in my wilderness years but i am aware of it <laughs> and things like no no never by texas lightning they're mm -hmm. just like i i just like the ones that have got a good song there especially if the studio version captures something that you know maybe they couldn't reproduce on stage like um the first ever georgian song Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that was just a total racket on stage. But that's never left the Eurovision playlist either. Mm. So I don't know. I, I do like to feel like I'm supporting an underdog, which in latter years has turned into sort of picking winners. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. You know, I, I feel like in liking Pogsage and Hori Hori, I am sort of sticking up for the underdogs a bit. Good for you. All right, Haroni, you are on the Ilda Besson Ultimate Playlist. Hurrah. <laughs> All right, we're coming up for your fourth song. Tell us what you've picked in number four. Uh, this is the peerless Aliona Moon's 2013 magnum opus, Or Me. <laughs> 
clarify that one, Ali. Go well, on. I mean, it, it should have won. <laughs> it should have won. Yeah, it should have won. Well, yes, and and there's a lot of discussion that goes on around the one that won in 2013, and I know of myself and only one other person who like it. Omi's just a, a sort of a songwriting masterclass in how you do the build, and also how you can be so sort of communicative and meaningful in a language that's only spoken in two countries in Europe. It starts out just the tiniest little song, and Aliona starts out the tiniest little person on stage, but musically and in stature, she just grows throughout the song. The build is enormous, and it's got this, the just the best ever middle eight um, that you could ask for in a Eurovision song, as it just sort of cranks up. It goes round... And there's like seven points in that middle eight where you think, surely, right, surely this is where she's gone for the key change. No, no, she goes round again and you go, oh, no, this this must be it. I can't take any more. This must be where she's going to launch back into the chorus. No, she goes round another five times before you get to that final sort of majestic chorus um, and the run back down. Vocally, it's incredible. Visually, it was amazing with the projections on the white dress, which a mm-hmm. lot of people have since totally ripped off. Yeah, absolutely. And the rising column um, that, you know, you just visually echoed what you were hearing. I don't know why it didn't do better. And there are many songs, aren't there, across the years that you can look at and say, why didn't that do better than it did? What were you thinking, Europe? Yes, Europe, sort it out. Was it it really just sort of a continent-wide nervousness about the lack of hotels in Chisinau? Maybe that was it. Although we came pretty close to being a bit scared by that this year, didn't we? <laughs> we we would love to come, but you're just going to have to build more hotels. We just know there are one of two, one one or two countries, aren't there, who enter that we'd love them to win, but we know they would not really be able to host it if we did. Win. We'd be nervous. <laughs> we'd be nervous. We'd be we'd be rooting for them, but we'd be nervous. We might end up staying across the border somewhere. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> right, Omi. Your winner of 2013 makes it onto the playlist. Thank you. Okay, song number five. You've picked a winner here for your song number five. One of the winning songs. Yeah, the only song that I'm going to pick that's actually won a contest. was I guess where I started taking my Eurovision fandom public again sort of taking it off the internet and um, I think this was one of my first Eurovision parties in Glasgow was it? Yes. Okay. With a bunch of my uh, friends from university, we all got together, you know, some cakes and booze and some Eurovision cakes and booze and Eurovision it was just wonderful to see the contest just climax in such a wonderful way with this incredibly daring totally lesbian coded (laughs) really powerful love song that 
like you could tell it was coming all the way from Maria's toes and it was sort of almost tearing her apart as she was singing it and being supported by all those those beautiful suited and tuxedoed backing singers uh, just it was such a powerful performance and like I'm not really a one for a big Balkan ballad are you not? Not really. Oh, I like a Balkan ballad. Um, but yeah, I, I find that I can speak fluent Serbian when I'm trying to sing along to Molotva, <laughs> as I've tried at Eurovision karaoke. It's just, yeah, it's a song that's more than the song to me. It's a song that is, it's about um, Europe embracing modernity and more than one way of being a woman. Just generally power. So let, let's talk about that, because I know this is something we've spoken about a lot Um a different way to be a woman because when Maria sort of came out and Europe first saw her do you think there was a bit of a reluctance to embrace that because Eurovision women have always worn pretty dresses had long flowing hair apart from a few do you think that seeing her on stage for the first time that it it did create that challenge for the continent well like we still we're still really short of uh like dressed up slightly butch women in Eurovision today yeah just seeing somebody like that um just excel and be totally herself not feel like she has to have like three thousand layers of blusher on but just be herself give her all be comfortable and also she looks amazing yes she does I agree she is now a sort of a, a big Serbian public figure she's a cool person like what's not to love and Molotva just is immortal <laughs> that's a, actually yeah that's a really good way to describe the song and and you know I I will tell people I had this one on my list and then crossed it off and then you put it on your list and I was like no I think I want it back so we we were a little bit fighting over Mollet, Molotva and whose list it was going to go on um but yeah the fact that that us and I suspect some of the others who are going to appear on the castaway island yes um Maybe would have had it on their list too, but we beat them to it. We beat them and to it. And ultimately you had it. But yes, and it's got the same thing in common with Oh Me. Like one of the things I really like in a song is a real sense of dynamic build and dynamic contrast. And Molotvar sort of goes through the same sort of dynamic arc as Oh Me, starting out with, uh, you know, something that's quite small and building to a giant choral group moment but then also ending with this really small sound yeah absolutely all right maria serefovic you are on the list at il de besson song all right let's move on to your song number six 2011 germany taken by a stranger I mean, it's not the song that Lena won with, but it is my favourite song that Lena did. Can I be honest? Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> and like, it's a sort of a audaciously weird and very dark song to send to Eurovision. 
But it was actually selected by the German public. Yes, it was. Uh, from Lena's album, because they knew that she would be defending her title. Um, and it's very much not a lovely horse. No, it's not. And I actually wanted to pick up on you, on, on that sort of uh, dialogue that we have a lot. It is very unusual, I think, for a country who has won it and who is hosting it to want to challenge for the title again. So they deliberately pick something that may end up comfortably mid-table. But I don't think Germany did that. I think Germany did think we're going to try to defend our title, not just finish well. What do you think? Yeah, it's not as it's not as universal a song as Satellite. And it's kind of not as obvious a song as Satellite. But, you know, it's another one that's been permanently on the playlist mm. ever since. Um, just because... It really is my kind of thing. It's very moody, very atmospheric, subject matter, bit weird, bit vague, um, ambiguous. Um, and I always like it when a country uses an automatic spot in the final to showcase something that is a bit different. I, I liked it in twenty in this year, twenty seventeen, when Ukraine decided to use their final their automatic qualifier spot to bring some guitars. <laughs> they they, did. They did. And I really liked the Mick Mix song, even though yeah. I maybe was the only one. No, uh, I like that. <laughs> but I do always like to see it when the Big Five or the host country bring something that in terms of pushing for the win, maybe not. But in terms of uh, like broadening the terms of the musical debate really adds. Mm. And this was very much that. And uh, it's also, it's another one of the songs that I like to sing. And uh, I still haven't like totally dominated at Eurovision karaoke to this, but it's only a matter of time. I'm sure we can find an opportunity to make that happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Taken by a Stranger by Lena. Is it? Of course. Are we ever going to throw anything out? Um, there might be a day. It might come. <laughs> the day might come. <laughs> okay, Ellie, your penultimate song. You've already had one from 2013 and you've picked us another one. This is I Feed You My Love. should have won in 2013 actually no i don't i didn't want the burger queen uh solid <laughs> with uh having to having to be the winner or anything i um i really like this song it's co-written by karen park who is a very sort of avant-garde electronic very dark norwegian composer and she's involved in a lot of you know, avant-garde electronic side projects. And so it's quite entertaining to have her, you know, with a song at Eurovision and such a good song at Eurovision. Margaret Berger absolutely sells it. She doesn't really have a lot that she can do because she's all in that white PVC dress. Mm. And the staging didn't change at all between the Norway Grand Final and the, uh, um, her Eurovision appearance. But it didn't really need to because... It was basically perfect. 
Um, and this again, like Taken by a Stranger, it is a weird song. It is a not okay love song. It's ambiguous and dark and maybe the relationship in it isn't necessarily healthy or good or even with a person. Um, like, mm-hmm. I, it's very difficult to tell what's going on in that song. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's started me out on a trail of just going, exploring the sort of Nordic electro sound and uh, listening to pop music that I wouldn't normally have listened to. And just through following Margaret Berger's career, um, mainly through looking for sort of 12 inch dance remixes of I Feed You My Love, because it's at three minutes, it's not long enough. I um, got into listening to her other music and one of her other songs a collaboration with r&b artist called face it's called diamonds and that was kind of my um personal anthem at my first eurovision when we were walking around in stockholm it's um not really anything to do with Stockholm or the 2016 contest, but it happened to be the song that I was listening to as we were pulling out of uh, the metro, the tunnel barna, uh, as you go over one of those really beautiful tall bridges and the river is sparkling in the sun and this song about diamonds is playing and Margaret Berger is just a sort of a perfect Eurovision artist. It shows, doesn't it, how the Eurovision Song Contest songs don't have to be in their particular time slot or year to have a like a connotation to a contest so this is an artist from 2013 norway yeah that reminds you of stockholm Stockholm 2016 yeah and somehow in the eurovision world that's perfectly fine and normal the other thing about i feed you my love is that when you listen to the eurovision version of it I don't know whether anybody else can hear it, but I can hear that that song is a metal song. And it is, you know, it's it sounds like a metal song, but with the guitar track just turned down. Mm, it's, it's, it's I, of, I had never thought about that before, but yeah. It is. Yeah. And uh, in with my friends who uh, we play in a band together, we've done a very successful cover of I Feed You My Love where we return the guitars to the mix. Does that exist anywhere on YouTube? Um, I'm too shy to release it yet. Okay, good. Well, I need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's maybe not for public consumption, but it's, it's such a fun song to sing and play. Cool. All right. I Feed You My Love is in, of course. Ellie, your last song comes from a national final, not from the contest itself. So we are in 2016 and the song is Slice. explain ah wasn't that nice Mm, um yeah so this was kind of 
the song that sort of flipped everything round for me. This was where I went from um, appreciating Eurovision from afar to I have to get as close as to this as possible. Like, this is interesting. Something's going on here and I want to know about as much about it as possible. McPadiah's entry in Estilol, which it so nearly won, it would have been the slowest ever Eurovision song mm. at 56 BPM. And it's, I love that you clock BPMs. I love that. <laughs> and it would have... Um, oh, it's just... It's from another place. It is sort of so relaxing to listen to that it just brings this incredible stillness whenever you play it. And... To have that kind of stillness brought to the Eurovision stage or even just the national final stage, it sort of it made me go, Estonia, something's going on there. I really like it and I'm fascinated by people who can vote that into a grand final of a Eurovision national selection. I'm fascinated by the people who submitted that to the national final Anyway, I want to know more about McPadiah and his music. I want to know more about Estonia. Mm. I want to know more about all these sort of weird pockets of uh, musical risk takers. Mm. And um, yeah, getting to Stockholm for my first Eurovision in 2016 and finding that I was definitely, definitely not the only person who thought about size in that way. Um, that prompted me to start doing a lot of my other musical side projects. Like, Sice is basically responsible for me starting Listen Outside. And we have a page on Listen Outside, uh, which is it's the Special Genius Club. And so far, I think it's just Mick Padaya who's a member of it. I think Louisa Sobral might be joining. Ooh, um, okay. But yeah, so far I haven't actually met Mick Padaya because I think that uh, he shouldn't find out about Listen Outside. Should he not? It's probably... Oh, it's too late for that now. <laughs> he's liked it. Ah, um, well, there you go. But yeah, so that song really started out a process of me taking everything to the next level rather than just sitting and streaming national finals for three months, planning on going to them. Uh, not just reading interviews with artists, but going out and trying to get interviews with artists from enjoying music that people give to me, but going out and finding my own music to recommend to other people. It, yeah, it's, it's the song which made me take it to the next level. And it's an amazing song. That's the eighth song. Okay, so from Estilao, Sice is of course on Yeah. So those are your eight, Ellie. Now we also allow, as you know, because you're normally sat here doing this, we also allow a luxury item, something to do with Sue Lawley, I think. I don't know. Um, so we allow you to bring a luxury item on to Il de Besançon with you. Tell us what you've chosen. I would like, as a member of the prog rock community, uh, to borrow a prop from uh, one of the few prog acts to ever have graced the Eurovision stage, George's Shin and Mariko. They had a song uh, about doing a... Um, a space jump, like um, like jumping out of a plane, but instead jumping out of a spaceship and flying down to Earth for three minutes. And for some reason, they decided to illustrate this by giving the drummer a hang glider on stage. 
and I just want that hand glider. Do you, for, for what purpose? <laughs> to look at. Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, to look at and think about prog rock. Okay, cool. You know what? Let's add that to the, the, the growing pile of Eurovision, Eurovision props. random props that we've got in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Henrik will have fun with it. I'm sure he will. <laughs> it's a good job we've got Henrik. It really is. Just in life in general, really. Yes. <laughs> and of course, we also give everyone the opportunity to give the douze point to the one song from your eight that you just can't live without. So come on, Ellie. Who's getting the 12? This is difficult, and I've just changed my mind about which one it is. I think it's I Feed You My Love. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's surprising. I didn't think you were going to go for that one. Did you think I was going to go for Molotvar? No, I thought you were going to go for Sice. Um, no, because Sice is constantly playing in my head now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I Feed You My Love gets yeah. the 12. Yeah. All right. You do surprise me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not even internally consistent because I said that Omi oh, should have won in 2013. But, you know... Them's the breaks. <laughs> and you can do that here. So I can, because I want to do it. <laughs> Ellie, thank you so much for being a guest on your own show. You can have the customs desk back for the next time. <laughs> thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, and I think there's just one thing left to do, isn't there? Play some guitars. Woo!